if, if a leader has a desire to see things measured, process-driven, if a leader has a desire to have engendered accountability, uh, that's going to be a part of it. So the first thing is, is actually the heart of the leader. To the inaugural episode of Law and Church, a series of podcasts and videos equipping church leaders to protect their church, sponsored by Church General Counsel. My name is Brian Fitton, and I'm here with Josh Bryant, managing attorney at Church General Counsel and an ordained pastor. How's it going, Josh? Hey, doing well. Thanks, Brian. I want to thank, say thanks to everybody who's tuning in today. Uh, I really think you're going to get a lot out of these podcasts and videos that we're going to do. Our goal is to keep them all under 25 minutes to honor our listeners' time. Uh, we know you're busy out there, uh, but we also want to make sure that there is plenty of content for you to dig deeper. And you can find all of that and more content at lawandchurch.com. That's awesome, Josh. Yeah, it's some great resources over there. You know, but today we're going to be talking about church processes. And uh, you had a, a great interview with uh, Dr. Tom Rayner. And I wanted to kind of hit on one of the things you guys talked about, which was good processes are documented in the church. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's really necessary that church documents are all in order. Uh, and when I first started working with churches from a legal perspective, uh, I would ask uh, a lot of times for policy manuals or processes or bylaws, and I would get three or four or five emails from multiple people, and they would have processes that competed with one another. They just didn't work well together. Uh, And so, you know, one of the things that we've tried to do is provide uh, an online customized uh, and customizable uh, policy and process manual for, for churches. And ultimately, it's so important that these things are documented because, Churches now are getting to a point to where they're sued more and more frequently. And used to, nobody thought that anybody would ever sue a church. That's not the case anymore. Second of all, courts typically don't like getting involved uh, in the internal affairs of a church. Well, that's not even necessarily true anymore. And so we've got this kind of strange situation where now everybody's okay with suing a church, or at least a lot of people are okay with suing a church, and courts are okay kind of sidestepping the First Amendment, it seems like, and following some other areas of law instead of focusing in on the First Amendment aspect of, of any particular piece of litigation. So it's necessary that if something goes wrong in how we do ministry, uh, whether somebody gets injured or somebody gets hurt or somebody gets mad and wants to sue the church, it's going to be necessary that for whatever context that was in, in which they were doing that ministry and somebody got uh, hurt or mad in the process, that I can take the process that was being followed and put it in front of a judge or jury and say, there was nothing wrong with what we did. Everything we did uh, was by the book and it was the that was all anybody could ever ask us to do under the circumstances. And if we can do that, and then we can follow that process and repeat that process and monitor that process, as we talk about with uh, our friend, Dr. Rayner, then we put ourselves in a much more secure position uh, as the church. I think that's great, and that's uh, that's only just a piece of what this interview has for you guys. And I, I honestly, it's a it's a fantastic interview. Really glad to hear uh, Dr. Rayner's insights into this. So let's go ahead and jump into that interview right now. 
guest is Dr. Tom Rayner. He's the founder and CEO of Church Answers. That's an online community and resource for church leaders. Before founding Church Answers, Dr. Rayner was the president and CEO of Lifeway Christian Resources. He served for 12 years as the uh, at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he was the founding dean of the Billy Graham School of Missions and Evangelism. He's written more than two dozen books, uh, amazing books for church leaders, all of which will be available in the show notes below. Dr. Rayner, welcome. Thank you, Josh. Always good to see you, dude. Good to see you, too. I'm glad to uh, have you on our inaugural episode of uh, Law and Church. Uh, wanted to talk just real quickly through one of those books that I really highly recommend for all church leaders out there. It's a book you wrote with Eric Geiger called Simple Church. Uh, and uh, we here at Church General Council are very keen on processes in the church. You know, one of the things we tell churches is that good processes are documented, which is a great thing, because if I ever need to go explain that process to a judge or a jury, uh, I've got it in writing. Uh, and that's a good thing to do. Uh, good processes are repeatable. Uh, and as a lawyer, I like that. Uh, we don't have to worry about those very variables and practices that could harm the church. Good processes are monitored, which is good because if there's risky conduct or something uh, changes in the law and, and that uh, process is no longer a best practice, then we can change that process. And then finally, good processes are refined, uh, which is good because the more effective and the more efficient we are, uh, the more secure a church can become. And of course, that's secondary to the fact that the more effective and efficient we are, the more people are getting reached with the gospel. So, uh just a, a few questions for you. Let me ask you this. You guys have done some research, you and Dr. Geiger, on uh, how effective churches are in terms of defining their process. What has some of your research shown on, on defining and documenting processes in the church that makes them so effective? Well, Simple Church, just to give a little bit of history about of that, Josh, so that the listening audience can understand the context a bit. Uh, Simple Church came out of research done by Eric Geiger. Eric Geiger was uh, then, he's, gosh, he's in his 40s now, but this book goes back to when he was in his mid-20s, and he was a doctoral student, and he was doing research on effective churches. And one of the things that he came out of this with is that some of the most effective churches in terms of, he basically measured it in his dissertation, which we then transliterated to uh, a trade book. He, he measured it in really two essential ways, reaching people and assimilating people. You can get into all kinds of potential metrics that are there. But that was the essence of it. And so when you begin to ask the question, okay, what were some of the characteristics of this? He basically came out with this conclusion that most of the effective churches have a clear and compelling vision that is then played out into a documented and flowing process. Now, that's a lot of things to say, but basically the churches had a simple vision and they had a clear process to carry out that vision. The, his his working title for the book was called The Process-Driven Church um, because purpose-driven church was not that old at that time. I said, no, nah, I don't think so. And when we took it to our publisher, the publisher said, no, nah, I don't think so. And so from that evolved the name Simple Church. Uh, the simplicity becoming in, when you, when you look at uh, clarity, movement, alignment, and focus, the four points of Simple Church, um, and by the way, movement and alignment can be interchanged, but clarity and focus need to be on the end, regardless of where you are. We'll talk about that in a minute. Mm -hmm. But but when, when you when you look at that, there are a lot of people who took Simple Church, and they wanted to just make the emphasis upon the last part, which was focus. In other words, let's go eliminate a bunch of things. And so for a lot of leaders, Simple Church became elimination. 
And for a lot of leaders who eliminated too quickly, it became known as elimination of their jobs because they moved too quickly. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the beauty of what Eric was calling the process-driven church uh, is that it is more about a vision and how the vision is carried out, the process, than it is one of those components that may mean you do away with things. Mm-hmm. So when it was all said and done, we collaborated. We, I said, Eric, we need some additional uh, research data. So I worked on that part for him uh, beyond what he did on his dissertation. And then uh, we obviously co-wrote the book. And so, Josh, the essence of it is a church that is reaching people and a church that is retaining people and it's at its core has a clear and compelling gospel vision and it has a process to carry it out. That process is obviously documented. It's obviously measurable. It's obviously ways that uh, people can understand it in terms of communication, but that was the essence of simple church. Very good. Very good. And those processes are just so important in, in churches today, you know, in terms of both assimilating people, but also in terms of reaching people and in terms of welcoming people on Sunday mornings. You know, one of the things I talk to churches a lot about is when they call and ask who gets to carry a gun uh, in church. And the, I tell them that's, that's the wrong question. I said, that, that's your last line of defense. Let's talk about your first line of defense. And those are the people in the parking lot who are greeting people as they come in or the people at the front doors, they're greeting people. And involved in all of that is not just a legal process, but obviously the the, the key component or the foundational reason why we do that is to reach people and assimilate them into the church. So that's all great stuff. One of the things that you talk about in Simple Church is illustrating those processes. What's the best way to teach some of these processes and get everybody in the church kind of on board and, and understanding how the church uh, kind of operates and rolls on forward? A lot has evolved since Simple Church. If if I'm, I'm trying to remember when that book was originally published. It's, uh, it was, it was, Gosh, 13, 14, 15 years ago, some, yeah. somewhere somewhere in that range. And a lot has evolved since that book uh, was was published. As a matter of fact, we did have a updated version of it, but the basic updated version of it was don't do stupid. Don't eliminate things uh, with, with without making sure that you have buy-in, without making sure your leadership cred is there. But one of the things that has evolved is this whole thing about illustrating it. And the more research that we did, the more that we found out post-publication, the more that we found out was the best illustration is a vision statement that is memorable, just Mm -hmm. as simple as that, and a vision statement that expresses the process. So those, those, that was, that's the illustration that has emerged as the most powerful illustration coming out of Simple Church. for, for example, a common vision statement, a common vision statement would be uh, love God, love others, serve others, and and uh, uh, give generously, something of that in nature. Right. That then becomes a process. It is not just a it is not just something that is said to be put on a website or maybe something framed in the church or on the church newsletter. It is just, it becomes a part of the process. So love God becomes the worship experience and we expect people to be in worship. A love others may be the group experience and we expect people to be in groups together, serve others, maybe the ministry experience. And we expect people as they grow in Christ in this process of becoming a disciple to do ministry. And then uh, I think I said, give generously or give wisely. Uh, That becomes part of the stewardship process. So when the more that we found out where the vision was tying in clearly illustratively, 
to the process, the post simple church research has found out that's been the most powerful illustration. Wow. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Certainly illustrating and, and, and making something memorable. That's part, part of what, what I'm telling churches when you're developing both your macro process, the big process, discipleship process of the church, as well as these smaller processes, uh, tell them you've got to make this something that's teachable, that's repeatable. Uh, you know, if it's real complex and complicated, a volunteer who's there at best once a week doing this and executing this process they're just not going to remember it, and you're going to have all sorts of variables and free radicals that come into the process and can both derail the church from a discipleship standpoint and what the church wants to do in terms of assimilation and reaching more people, but also in terms of how they legally operate. So definitely have to do that. Uh, so before I go up, move on to our next uh, question here, I want to talk just briefly about Church Answers. We uh, uh, are going to have a featured resource for every uh, podcast episode that we do, and today's is going to be Church Answers. Uh, on the website there, it tells us that all month long, you can get premier church health coaching uh, material delivered straight to your inbox. And while Dr. Rainer still provides content on his blog and podcast, the material at Church Answers is at a much deeper level than people uh, like your listeners and readers have requested for years. In addition to that, the deliverables from you and your team each month. Uh, you have a real-time chat room with more than 1,500 participants to discuss important issues with other leaders in a private and digital community. Uh, personal and group coaching opportunities and consulting are also offered at Church Answers. Uh, so go check out that great resource, churchanswers.com. I've been privileged to take part in several discussions there at, at Church Answers, and I know church leaders out there would love to get involved in this. Uh, it's a great place for iron to sharpen iron, uh, so definitely go sign up for that. Uh, you could probably explain Church Answers a lot better than I could, but uh, it, it's a great resource out there for churches. churches. I, I call it the one-stop coaching and consulting site, uh, one-stop digital coaching and consulting site. The essence of it is we have a, uh, a virtual staff meeting live. Mm -hmm. It's also recorded if you don't make it in time. And then we have a community that you've been very active in, uh, Josh, and that community, you said, what'd you say, 1,500? And it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's almost 1,800 since whenever you got that information. So wow. it's, it's, it is, it's continuing to grow. And the, the promise there is when you come to Church Answers, you can get an answer within 24 hours. Though we, try to, we tell our team during the daytime to try to make it two hours mm -hmm. to, to respond uh, to something. And so that's highly customized. And it, uh, the community is just fantastic there, and I appreciate the contribution you've made. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's a great community. So let's move on to my next question here. What would you tell church leaders who asked, how is the, the, the best way to measure or evaluate uh, their process? What are some key uh, things they need to be looking for as they measure those processes? Each of, each of the processes conceptually, each part of the process, I should say, conceptually would have some type of metric associated with it. Mm -hmm. We have a challenge there, and this is, uh, again, I'm, I'm able to give your listening audience some post-Simple Church evaluations through, throughout the years. And one, one of the challenges is we're, we're living in a really a uh, almost an anti-metric culture, especially within the church, and there's a lot of pushback on measuring nickels and noses or anything of that, and particularly just attendance. And so when, when we talk about the first part of, a, say, a vision statement, where it's love God, how are we measuring if people are loving God? Well, the common metric has been worship attendance. Mm -hmm. uh, again, that's not an all in all, but that, that has been the common metric. And then let's say the second step of the uh, process as we continue on is uh, to, to love others. 
and that typically is measured through group attendance. And uh, that becomes a little more complex because not all group leaders report group attendance. Though the old old-fashioned Sunday school method did, but not a lot of the uh, small group systems. Right. Then you get further into it, and you get into metrics on serving and discipleship, and it even becomes more challenging. Uh, some sometimes you're you're not actually taking metrics as you are looking back over the last year or the last quarter and seeing how many people are involved in ministry and that becomes your metric or how many people are involved in mission and that becomes your metric or how many people are giving faithfully and regularly and that becomes your metric. The, the, the further you go on the process pathway, the further you go on that, the more challenges it is to get those metrics. I encourage churches to do it, but I don't encourage churches to beat up their members while doing it. And that's one thing that we found in Simple Church if you push measurement too too greatly, you're going to have pushback. So get what you can and then maybe uh, estimate or at least do a do a 12-month, three-month review of where, where you have gone. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. How has have the kind of the Franklin Covey, uh, Covey of the, the four disciplines of execution and your lead measures and your lag measures – how does that kind of play into the whole med- measurement process uh, in your your opinion and your experience? Not very well. That's, that's, <laughs> that's that is that is my conclusion. Uh, you, you know, a, a, a lag measure is attendance. So you know, you ha- how how do you get there? And and uh, uh, again, we we who write books and do things have these uh, utopian ideas that leaders will embrace lead and lag measures, uh, the, the lag measures being the results, the lead measures being what gets you there. Uh, and we have this utopian view that uh, churches and church leaders are going to embrace it. The more I get into this, Josh, the more I say, just hang on, do a few of the measurements, uh, ask the question without even getting into the details of lead measures, because you're going to lose. I found out when I start talking about lead and lag, I lose 25% of my, I mean, 95% of my audience. Wow. And so I just, I just say, look, instead of just saying, this is what we hope we will have in terms of say number of people brought to Christ, however you measure it, conversion, baptism, professions of faith, different, church, different congregations have different ways of doing it. Ask how you're getting there. Yeah. yeah. And instead of just having the end result, ask how you're getting there. And I get away from the lead and the lag, and that that tends to help them a good bit. It's like yeah. great. Some of this is really great conceptually, but in the application of real life church world, it becomes a challenge. A little bit difficult. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of my first bosses told me uh, when I'd first gotten a job, he said, Josh, you can't can't manage what you can't measure. Uh, and so uh, he was always big on measure your systems, measure your processes, measure your people uh, so that you can manage and make changes where you need to. All right. Last point here. What are some things that churches can do to ingrain some of these processes just in the very DNA of their church? Well, one of the first things that we need to remember about anything that becomes a part of the DNA of the church is a part of the heart of the leader. So if, if a leader has a desire to see things measured, process-driven, if a leader has a desire to have engendered accountability, uh, that's going to be a part of it. So the first thing is, is actually the heart of the leader. The second thing is uh, what you 
get what you expect on the front end is what you get throughout the ministry and lifetime of a church member. So when a church member comes, a prospective church member comes into the church, he or she needs some type of entry point to go through, whether that is called a church membership class, or whether that is called an entry point or one-on-one, it, it has different types of names. Mm-hmm. One of the big mistakes that we make in many of our churches is we fail. When, when we have, say, let's call it a new members class for simplicity. We are fine on giving out information, but where we are often lacking in these classes is expectation, which I'm talking about here, Mm -hmm. and then assimilation, where they go from that class into some type of ministry involvement or group. So I am talking about when 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 an entry point class has expectation, uh, uh, information, expectation, and assimilation, I'm talking about that second point, uh, expectation. Are you truly expecting people to go through this process? Mm-hmm. And so the, 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 the process-driven approach, what we called in the book Simple Church, should be clearly communicated on the front end so it becomes part of the DNA. Now, also, it should be celebrated. So once something once once you begin to see things that you can thank God and how he is working, it reminds the church, these are the things that are most important. These are the things that I, I remember. So you have DNA beginning with God giving, hopefully, the vision to leadership. Then you have it as a front-end expectation, and then you have it as a celebration. Embedded within all of this, or maybe I should even make it a circumference around all of this, is ongoing communication. You mm-hmm. cannot over-communicate this type of information. So if you get it on the expectation, if you get it in the leader, if you get it in the communication, if you get it in the celebration, it will become part of the DNA of the church. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I love the celebration aspect of that, you know, with uh, Charles Duhigg's research and the power of habit and uh, just general how you form habits. A lot of these processes, that's what we want. We want it to be habitual and, and one of those things that would just happens. Uh, it's easier said than done, but uh, at the end of the day, what triggers that a lot of times is uh, is that aspect of celebrating, of, of rewarding uh, those processes that work well and end up getting us where we want to go uh, as human beings and as organizations like the church. So great stuff. Dr. Rayner, I appreciate you being here today. Any last thoughts uh, from you on uh, on processes in the church? Well, the emphasis on processes should be complemented with an emphasis on, and I will just simply call it this, leadership sanity. Make certain leaders that you do things that reflect wisdom and that you have the cred and that you have earned the right to make some of these changes because many churches have processes that only reflect 1975 Few of them have gotten into the 80s, even fewer have gotten into the 90s. You start changing the way that we've always done it because we're talking about many churches moving from a program-driven church to a process-driven church. And I think process at its essence is really what was happening in the early church as they were developing more mature followers of Christ. But go at it with wisdom, go at it with pain. And if you are a pastor, you may need to approach it with longevity. That, that may or may not have been a lesson I learned the hard way. I, I don't know. <laughs> Dr. Rayner, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been another episode of uh, the Law and Church podcast. We look forward to hearing from Dr. Rayner again soon in just a few weeks. Wow, what a fantastic interview. Uh, Josh, any last thoughts on that? 
You know, it's really hard to overstate the importance of process in the church. Did you know why the American aviation industry almost didn't make it off the ground, pun intended? (laughs) (laughs) No. Why is that? Well, they were crashing too frequently. These planes kept falling out of the sky, and people just didn't feel comfortable with commercial aviation. So the pilots got together uh, and put their heads together and said, hey, what are we going to do to save our jobs? And they came up with a pre-flight checklist, which is a process. Mm -hmm. Uh, And with that process, aviation accidents plummeted, and now it's safer to drive than, or safer to fly than drive. And uh, I think you you stand a greater chance of getting struck by lightning a few times before uh, you have a chance of actually crashing in an airplane. So uh, churches really have to be able to get their processes in writing and accessible to those who are doing the ministry. Josh, tell us a little bit about what you've got going on over at Church Council. You know, we talk an awful lot about processes and how those processes can protect your church, but doing it well is really time-consuming. And so, as a result, there are a lot of churches that are operating unprotected with few or no documented procedures and policies, not to mention the state of many churches' bylaws. Uh, And as the world becomes more litigious, church leaders are going to need a simple, affordable, expert way to protect their churches with good policies and procedures. And Church General Council offers that, a customized online policy and process manual that also serves as a cloud-based training platform for volunteers and staff. You'll have access to an attorney like myself that focuses on church law, and that is all included with this system. So go check that out at churchgeneralcouncil.com. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Law & Church. Make sure you check out lawandchurch.com for all the resources, show notes, links. Everything is available for you there. And if you'd like to connect with us, go over to facebook.com, search the Church Esquire Club. There's all sorts of opportunities for you there. And thanks so much for joining us. We will see you next week.